everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Brief Talk podcast. We have two really cool people on today who have done something amazing. Uh, we have Jesse Finley Reed and Brian Darling, who you may not know, did the All Man movie about international mail. Welcome, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. It's for good to be here. We love talking about international mail and underwear. Well, you're on the right podcast. So we definitely, this, this is, we're all about underwear. We talk everything underwear, masculinity, everything. You name it, we do it on this podcast. It's so right up International Mail's, I'm mail. sorry, right up, right up International Mail's alley. <laughs> exactly. And when I saw the movie coming out, I was like, I've got to get you on the podcast to talk. And I saw the movie this month and liked it a lot. And I was telling you before the show, I think you could have made an entire series about International Mail because there is so much to cover and so much to do about International Mail because it is so iconic that it left me wanting more when I in the movie. I'm like, well, I wanted to hear more of this and this and this and this and this. But I know it goes by so quick in, in 80 minutes or 85 minutes. We At one point, we, we were... We talked about a series. I mean, there's all kinds of ideas mm-hmm. of stuff, you know? It's just yeah. crazy because it's so iconic in the gay world and in the straight world, as you pointed out, that it was a time before the internet, before everything. And you got the catalogs in the mail and you got to see all this really interesting stuff that you couldn't get anywhere else. And it was it was just amazing back in the day. So our listeners who are younger, who never got to experience it, I'm sorry, but it was amazing. Well, yeah. And it's what makes the so, free internet so, world. I think okay. that that's, what's so amazing about it because I was one of the little boys who got it in the mail or teenage teenagers got it in the mail. And it was this sort of window into this world that I didn't really see in the world around me where men were living these sort of fantastic lives and wearing boundary pushing clothing. And it, it felt both provocative and safe at the same time to look, which I think as a young queer person was really important, especially at that time. Um, It was the eighties and, you know, it was the AIDS crisis and Reaganism and all of that. And here was this thing where none of that seemed to matter. So what made you guys tackle international mail? What made you want to take on this subject? <laughs> uh, it was a, really, it was just complete happenstance. Jesse and I were working on another project at the time, dealing with growing up during the age of AIDS. And while we were working on that project, he came across some magazines and I'll let him tell that story to you specifically. But but basically, you know, he brought these these catalogs, magazines, catalogs, yeah, to to me to show me, and uh, I was really shocked when I saw them, just in the sense that wow, I've never seen anything like this before, you know, in in fashion, like in the sense of what you could what you had access to, what you could buy, and how the images were put together and how editorial it was, yet it was a catalog. I was like, wow, what is this? Um, how have I never seen this? And what's, you know, what's the story behind this? And initially, you know, we were going to do a short film about how it, you know, how, how the affinity that gay men had for it and, you know, used to jerk off to it and what it meant to them and, you know, like a fun short film for us to do while we were working on this other film this larger film and it very quickly, I mean, really very quickly became apparent that there was a much larger story here and a much um, deeper story to, to explore and uncover. But it all started when um, Jesse was at work one day. Yeah. And a colleague was um, moving on to another position and someone had jokingly given him these international mail catalogs and they were in his recycling bin. And I picked them up in his office and I held them close to my heart. And I said, oh, my God, these meant so much to me. It was funny all these years later, (laughs) seeing some of the issues that I recall receiving and remembering the sequence of images 
you know, again, this pre-internet world where you really held on to certain things that were valuable to you, where you could find, you know, not a word that I would use at the time, like representation that was somehow different Mm -hmm. from what we saw everywhere else. And as Brian said, it was going to be this funny little film until it became a story about so much more. And that really excited us both um, because I think it's great to take something often written off as like camp or saccharine or not so important and use it to really dive into some much deeper issues culturally. And I think that's what works so beautifully about the film and its history. I mean, the the catalog and its history, excuse me, is that mm-hmm. it... Um, it overlaps with these, these trends, these movements, these cultural moments in our society where, where we're being pushed forward, being pulled back. It all, it all depends, but it fits in very well. Yes. Yes. Cause the catalog itself was something amazing back in the day because coming out in the eighties, it was like, what is this? What we have this? Oh my goodness, where has this been? This is amazing. And I've told the story on the podcast many a times. I had the international mail credit card back in the day <laughs> with the two hundred dollar limit and just yeah. thought I was just on top of the world. It's like oh, you know what I can buy for two hundred dollars? Oh my god, goodness. When I was in college, so it was like, oh my god. So glamorous, yes, it was glamorous. You were living was, an international life at your college. Exactly. That $200 <laughs> got me there. I was like, yes. So yeah. mean, we, when we found out about the credit card, we, I remember like, wow, what didn't they have? You know, it was mm-hmm. like, wow, like very smart. You know, I think at one point in time, we were told also they had like a, like a magazine caddy that oh. they had made wow. for yes, it as yeah. well. I've actually um, seen it. That you could put somewhere for your international mail cattle. Oh, wow. wow. Yes, it's in, it's in Lucite. I remember I used to have it's, it for... It's a clear Lucite catalog yeah. holder uh, that I saw at Gloria Tomita's house. I say, you, I say you should put an, an eBay alert on that for that. <laughs> that. That's a good collector's item to have. I was supposed to say that is something I did not even know they did. It's just, oh my goodness. That's crazy. But yeah, because people used to display them when you would meet people and go over to friends' houses. They'd be on the coffee table as, look, I get international mail. I get undergear. Here it is. Well, so yeah. It wasn't just something you just like. Oh, wait, no, no, I'm sorry. I, I think there's a delay with me. But but yeah, it's something coded that, you know, you could have out on the coffee table. Mm-hmm. Like you could have that and it would be an indication of. Perhaps your taste in clothing or perhaps your taste in more than clothing yes. sort of on display. Yes, very much so. It was just crazy. And one part I really liked about the movie was you had the phone salespeople. Because I tell people before you could either fill out the the order form in it and mail it in or you could call an order. And people are just blown away especially younger, that you had to actually call someone and talk to someone about this. And to hear one of the people who did it, it was just so fun and so good to hear, yes, I want the whatever jockstrap and this and da 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 da, da. <laughs> But yeah, I, I love that part because I'm like, it brings back memories of me calling up so many times. Did you have, did you, do you remember any of your conversations with any of the... The phone uh, salespeople? Not a lot. Not a so lot. So you weren't one of those flirty, flirty callers? No, I was, re- I was 19, 18, 19, 20. So I was just like, <gasps> it was already calling up about all the fun stuff I wanted to order. And it was just like, oh my goodness. <gasps> so it was. I asked too, because not, not just for the flirty part, because that's always fun. But, uh, you know, something that didn't make it in the film was was uh Dion uh the phone the phone sales mm-hmm. operator who's in the film he he when he we did our interview he brought with us some index he brought with him some index cards to show us that he had kept that were customer cards wow. and 
they would keep notes on their customers like lives in Chicago, you know, banker, you know, traveled so and such likes this item or that item. They would they would make notes about, you know, about so when they called, they could be reminded, refresh and have conversations. They were always trying to like have you know, like sort of real conversations with people and of interest and talk about, you know, things going on in, in life at the time. So I, I was just curious if you experienced any of that, it, that just because it's such a neat, uh, a neat thing to see. And I wish we could have gotten it in uh, the film. But yeah, there was that. And then also people who bought from the store or bought from from the catalog would also send in photos. Mm hmm. It's just something we didn't have, weren't able to put into the film. And they would send photos of themselves, like Polaroids or, you know, photo prints made of them in underwear with ideas of an underwear that they could come out with or how they would be a great model. Or certain like phone operators also would have relationships with some of these Mm -hmm. guys as well. Yeah, that's one thing that really... I was not expecting in the film uh, since I came of age during that time is when you were talking about the people who had the customers and they all started dying with the AIDS in the eighties. And I'm just like, Oh, I remember that so vividly growing up in that time and coming out that I'm like, yeah. And I think it shocked. I know some people saw it who were like, what? I'm like, yeah, you don't remember the AIDS crisis and, you know, we didn't have internet, so you wouldn't find out so-and-so passed away, like, two months beforehand. And I was like, yeah, it struck gay businesses, too. So, yeah. That definitely. So that was that was good to see in there, too. It was like, uh, teach, teaching people about history. I was, like, very happy. So what was one of you guys' favorite things about making the movie that you either learned or happened or, you know, discovered while you were about international mail while you were making. I think that the most shocking thing that I discovered, you know, because I of course approach this as a gay, gay kid who had gotten it. I think when we learned about the actual demographics of people who were buying the clothes, it was pretty, Mm -hmm pretty surprising to me that, you know, it it totally makes sense in retrospect because the common thing that gay men say is like, oh, I never bought anything, but I kept getting it. Uh And, you know, the fact that women, you know, desired these clothes for their, the men in their lives and sort of acted on that. And a lot of men desired those clothes to act on it. That was pretty surprising because, here I had thought that this was a special thing just for me. Like this was like the mm-hmm. special catalog made for young gay boys like me. And uh, <laughs> I think the other thing that happened really early on, you know, when it became a much larger film was feeling welcomed into this family of people uh, who all mm-hmm. spoke about how much they cared about this job job and family you know this chosen family if you will way before we had the phrase chosen family and how much it sort of supported them and built them up and often people say it was like the best job they ever had and that was for not not just the models or not just the sales staff it was sort of like everyone felt that way So we felt, I felt very shepherded into this family by everyone. Nice. Yeah, that came through on the screen that they felt like a family and they were very close to each other while working there and probably many of them kept in touch afterwards. But yeah, that came through in the film. So that was awesome. Yeah, I, you know, I think the, one of the, one of the interesting things for me during the process was talking to the models and kind of getting an understanding of like, why did they go into modeling? Mm-hmm. And, and also when did they become sort of aware of their bodies and worked on their bodies and, and why did they do that? And, you know, again, it was something that we couldn't get all of this in, into the film fully because initially when we were starting to make the film, 
we were really we were really wanting to explore heavily you know masculinity what is masculinity mm-hmm. how do men find masculinity you know and how does uh sort of the definition and and expression of masculinity change you know over over time for for these men and and one of the interesting things was that a lot of the models were from small towns and their experience of becoming a model opened up their entire world perspective you know they may have come from small towns that you know if you were gay you were a fag or like you know it was mm-hmm. like a very obviously negative thing that you know no one wanted to be and you know and of course then it was like also a sickness and all these various things so what was interesting is by them becoming models and going into the modeling world and being exposed to so many different people a lot of gay men are in the fashion industry and then also traveling the world. Yeah. And it really opened up their minds and their perspectives and their realities as they were becoming, you know, as they were like young adults in, uh, you know, in their early 20s. And I thought that was really interesting to see and to hear. And for them, modeling uh, oftentimes was an escape, a way to escape the the town and the life that they were having, you know, in their adolescence and, and young, uh, young adult lives, a way to escape that and go on to something. And, and also for them, they realized that the attention they got mm-hmm. from having a body, like, and, and seeing attention that basically seeing attention that other men were receiving for having that, that muscle built body, which at the time in the eighties and in, in late seventies and eighties, this was like a new thing coming in. You know, prior to that, it was more about being skinny, but you always had the the bodybuilding world, but it was more obscure, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting is when they noticed that there was a tension that could be gotten from from having a body, they they focused on developing their bodies in a way of becoming, you know, the muscular athletic way in which, you know, we see them in the catalog. Um, and then also, that's not to take away the fact that they weren't athletes. A lot of these models um, coming in this 80s were actual athletes that were these mm-hmm. bodies because these the, the modeling industry at the time, guys with muscles was not the look in fashion. And it was very hard for, they were called body models who mostly did like sports wear and gym wear kind of things. So that all really changed in the mid 80s. And and so I just found that aspect of it really interesting because in in a certain way, making this film, whenever you're a documentary filmmaker, hopefully, you're learning as well. Like you're uncovering something mm-hmm. about not only the topic, but something about yourself. And hopefully that's also reflexive and reflected in the film. And so for me, it's like, yeah, what is masculinity? These days we talk about it being toxic, you know, but what are, how do we get our masculinity? <laughs> how do we define it? How does it change? And what are good role models of masculinity? And that was what I found really fascinating and interesting and, and kind of thinking also about myself and my own identity as that related. Nice. Yeah, that's, the film carries over as the underwear industry as a total today because like you were saying, Jesse, you were surprised that the makeup of the customers, even today we have straight guys who love underwear coming out more bisexual guys, gay guys. So it's not just gay guys doing underwear. And that's one reason our podcast has done so well is we talk to all these different ones. And then we talk about what is masculinity is, it's like wearing a thong doesn't make you any less masculine than not wearing one. So it's these conversations are still going on today that you discovered from the eighties and on. So that's, that's kind of cool that they're still in some ways cool, but other ways it's like, you think we'd be past the masculinity thing, but that's always a thing. Well, I think, I think the masculinity thing, I just wanted to say though, before I go into that is that, 
I think that underwear fits really well into this idea of safe expression because it's something that you have underneath mm -hmm. your clothes, your outer clothes. So you can really be taking a risk with underwear. I think that's why, you know, just guessing, because, you know, of course, data isn't the same from back then as we have now. But I think that's what made the yeah. underwear so popular was like, oh, I can wear this like fundoji Japanese wrap under my three-piece suit and get away with it. And there's something like really erotic about that. I think the film really chronicles this sort of masculinity that's taking place. And if you look at the very early catalogs from the 70s, you see, I'd say, a, a much less muscular, less athletic guy and as the catalog evolved and they saw what sold, it was this really brilliant marketing strategy of taking these sort mm -hmm. of archetypes of masculinity, like the Brian Bazzini's or David Knight's, and putting them in this boundary-pushing clothes. Because it's, in a way, made it safe for viewers. You know, I could project yes. my erotic desire on it, a young, trendy guy wanting to look hip and cool could say, I want to dress like Don Johnson or their wife or partner, female partner could say, I want them to look like Fabio. And like, here's a catalog for it. I think like where the film ends is something that both Brian and I were really excited by about like sort of end, ending it in the TikTok world where everyone can mm -hmm. sort of represent themselves and I think as far as we've come, I think the problem or I think the complication of masculinity is we still eroticize as a culture, broadly speaking, a very specific kind of masculinity. Yes. And I think still that men who, who choose, you know, there's a lot of athletes at the very, very end of the film wearing these sort of outrageous clothes but they sort of have this privileged body already. Mm -hmm. And what does, what does it mean for us as a culture? Mm -hmm. And I think the beautiful thing about these various movements that we're in or coming out of or dealing with, like the women's movement, the Black Lives Matter, Trans Lives Matter, is like it's an opportunity to sort of be critical of masculinity. It's also a question, to Brian's point, of like, what does that masculinity look like now? Like, what, yes. what is it? Because obviously capitalism responds to what people want. If no one desired these erotic action figure movies, they wouldn't make them. But instead mm -hmm. we desire those things, so we make more of them, and the actors that are hired for them have nutritionists and go to the gym seven days a week and you know, sculpt this body. But uh, yeah, that's the complication of now that I throw it out to the world to try to help figure out, you know, what what is non-toxic masculinity? That's well, a good the, thing to, to, the thing to add to this too is, you know, when you're, as Jesse's alluding to with like movies and such and these superhero movies and like Kumail Nanjiani is a great example of, you know, from nerd to superhero. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think also what thing to understand it's, it's a global situation. It's not just in the United States, these movies and these, these forms of, of media and representation are not meant just for the United States. Right. So they're a basic sort of appealing level or something that is now, now people around the globe are appealing and you can see it in, you know, in the expression that young people in different countries take on to, to have that very like strong athletic superhero look, but something to it that I think is important that doesn't get talked as much about, you know, we use words like with underwear, we use words like, you know, erotic to feel erotic or mm -hmm. is erotic. And, and what happens is we have this tendency to, to basically interchange sexuality with with masculinity mm -hmm. like they're they're so intertwined in this way that i think oftentimes when people are talking about masculinity 
in my opinion, oftentimes are talking about sexuality. They are connected, but we're talking about male sexuality. And whenever you say male sexuality, most people think of sexual orientation. Yes. And this is a problem because to me, and something I said while we were making this film, is that this is a film that explores masculinity and male sexuality. And, you know, male sexuality has nothing to do with sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a similar thing to where in the transgender world, a lot of people in discussing these things are taking gender and sexuality and looking that as the same kind of thing. And I think when we talk about masculinity, you know, with men, I think it's important to to frame it in in that way and to frame it in sort of a different way, which is, you know, what we're saying is if you wear this underwear and it is erotic or looks erotic, then that can't be masculine. Yeah. That's how I interpret that. And I find that so interesting because there's also a lot of men who are like, screw that. They don't have any problems with it. Straight men, you know, totally. They'll they've took, taken a page from gay men and have seen the kind of attention and and that has brought, and they want that too. And so they will express themselves in an erotic way, because to me, expressing one's self, one, ex, men expressing their sexuality, their erotic, you know, their eroticness, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Is a very is is just a form of expression and a powerful thing that to me doesn't necessarily have anything to do with whether a person is masculine or not. Yes, because I think you pointed out so well in the film is guys who looked you know quote unquote masculine are wearing these clothes and being feeling sex or being sexualized basically because. Our society goes, you can sexualize women all you want to, but you can't sexualize a man. No, no, no. Well, it's no, because no. it's men who are doing this. Yes. And men who are looking at it. Yes. Well, exactly. and, it's a, and it's also a threat to masculinity itself because masculinity only sort of survives by belittling or labeling other things other. Um, yes. I think that that's, you know, how masculinity sort of maintains itself. It's really fascinating. I don't feel I can speak about it with any sort of confidence, but there's a whole section of academic research that uses this idea of it's called the masculine box and about the sort of limitations and privileges that are carried with sort of masculine self-expression and how it sort of anything that doesn't sort of support masculinity is seen as other or weak or effeminine or any other Yes. whole host of other words but it's it's very limiting at the same time and i think that mm-hmm. i think that international mail was playing with the bounds of this i think we as a culture are playing yes. with bounds of this i think you know from from rupaul to you know academic judith butler you know we're really conscious that all these sort of accoutrements we wear these clothes it's all a form of drag to borrow mm-hmm. a RuPaulism, which actually was coined by someone else, but I can't cite that person, unfortunately. Oh, I... But, um, you know, this idea that, you know, we put on these clothes and we become something. We become Harrison Ford. We become Indiana Jones. We become Fabio. I mean, that's so American, our imagination mm-hmm. of like sort of, projecting ourselves and into these clothes and into these sort of lifestyles. Like it's so wonderful when you look back at the eighties and you find an old nightclub footage and everyone's sort of aspiring to be this dynasty like character, so to speak, you know, and it's, it's, it's about, it's a, it's very American to me in a, a really wonderful way that we're so informed by the, the world we see represented around us. Yes. I mean, I think the catalog, sorry, I just want to add one thing sure. to this because this is such an interesting conversation. I think like when, when it comes to the, the, to the catalog and what we're really kind of talking about here, we're, we're talking about nonconformity, right? Mm-hmm. Because 
if you think about it, when we're talking about masculinity, I mean, masculinity technically can be kind of anything. Yes. But when we speak of it, we're using, we're still using the way in which we assume is sort of this traditional conservative standard type of masculinity that's been around for, for a long time. But really what all this is and is about conformity. And in turn, it's like, okay, if you look this way, be this way, it's all a way to, to conform and find an easy way to get through the society and, and to not stand out. And if anything, International Mail is, was really trying to push this idea that you don't have to conform. Mm-hmm. That you, you know, you don't need to be like everybody else. And here's a way that you can express yourselves in varying ways and, you know, to stand out. And, you know, I think that's what makes it so awesome. I think that's why it still stands the test of time. No matter what it is, we still, you know, conformity probably will always be there in some fashion. But, I think that's why it still lands today and people are amazed by it because it's just so expressive and nonconformist. Yes. And I think with underwear, like you said, that guys can wear whatever they want to under their suit. It gives them a little more expression of who they want to be. And they maybe cannot wear the clothes they want to wear, do things. They're in a small town, but you could wear pink underwear you could wear something crazy and no one knows so it gives you a little bit of expression and we've talked to many of our listeners and readers that it gives them a little bit more confidence wearing something like you know a pink jock under a blue power suit when they give a presentation so i think that plays a part into why underwear is so important to people gay straight by trans, whatever, it, it it adds something to your personality that you sometimes can't show in, in public. So I think that's one of the, the biggest bonuses of international mail in general, too. So It's probably why their underwear section was the largest and best-selling yes. section of the catalog, you know? Yes. That was my, it was my gateway drug into everything. Because <laughs> it was like, oh my goodness. I must have everything. I want all this page. Yes. Every color. They have some amazing underwear. I I have to say, like, it's just like, wow. That's yeah. I still have some that still, that I can still wear. And I found one of the latest collect, well, one of the, right before they closed, probably in the early 2010s, some that are unopened. And I'm like, oh no, this is like a museum piece now. (laughs) <laughs> that's great to know that you have these things because sometimes we get asked about doing an exhibition and i'm like well so much of it was spandex so it didn't really last but, but oh yes but yeah, i have to find them those are collectible and i have an international no not international undergear beach ball somewhere around here yeah <laughs> so yes. yeah we were able to handle the original jock sock oh um, wow there's one uh, Gloria has the original sample that was used and it's in extremely excellent condition, surprisingly enough. And we, it's actually, when you watch the film, there's a section where they talk about the jock sock mm-hmm. and show it uh, on this um, sort of mannequin model. That's the actual real jock sock. We slipped onto a mannequin yeah, um, the prototype. to do it. So there's, it's impossible to find. We've never seen one. I have, I have, uh, you know, I, eBay alerts. I own, I'm going to have to dig through my drawers. I dig through everything. Cause I had several of them and I'm going to have to see if I can find one now. <laughs> I have so some good. stuff in storage that I didn't want to get rid of because I've, <laughs> as we get older, we grow horizontally and not taller. And there's just certain pairs that we didn't give, want to give away. And I know that's going to be in something so you're gonna have me on a quest now to find the jock sock because i had two or three of them so okay yeah if you ever if you ever find yourself needing to get rid of them feel free to mail them (laughs) add them to like my 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 international mail archive of things (laughs) it's it's crazy I do have one question for you if you found this out, because this has been been just like gnawing at me since they closed. Do you know if they even created an archive of all the old catalogs 
anyone? Uh, they did not, uh, to our knowledge. They I did. mean, we don't know. We don't know. We, but yeah, I mean, uh, the people who uh, the people who own it um, aren't very forthcoming. However, I will yeah. say that that archives have collected all the catalogs. Um, the specific, one archive has a collection. Yeah, the okay, one archive good. in, in, in Los Angeles at USC awesome. has a full collection. We have a lot of them now. Not not a exhaustive collection. There's also um, a website called Tim in Vermont, which was a really fantastic resource. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, uh-uh. but he has cat no. or you they, will be now. They have catalog. I'm not sure what they. What, how big of an enterprise it is, but they have cataloged everything from international mail and undergear to physique pictorial to old, you know, uh, physique wow. films. And they're all low resolution scans, which is, you know, I wish they were higher res, but mm-hmm. um, that, that site ended up becoming so helpful for us in terms of, uh, we were downloading the entire site. Yeah, like, Place. At a certain point, we had a we we had to call him because we were just literally downloading everything they had. Yeah, I had a, a, awesome. a really lovely conversation with him about it. I was like, I know you said the limit of the downloads, but and I just told him the whole story, and he was like, Oh no, you can download it all; it's fine. But uh, nice, yeah, yeah, because that's something I think should live on. Because there's so many people who coming up now who don't know about it or haven't seen it and they see snippets. So it would be cool if one of them did a higher resolution scan and put it online. But, you know, that, that's just me. Yeah, I think we, well, you know, archives, archives don't have the resources. That's the True. one thing. Because we, we were trying to like, you know, we, we need to fill out some of our, our stuff with, with some others. And, but, you know, for them, it's like, I forget how much, was it like a dollar a scan or was it more than that? Oh, Jess? no, yeah, it was much higher than that for, um, okay. for yeah. like a proper archivist to make a scan for it. Yeah, because they won't let uh, you do it. So they, it has to be their staff and it takes a long time. It takes time. It's yeah. very expensive. So it was better for us to just buy up as many of these catalogs as we could. And I was watching while we were making the the catalog, we're making the catalog, making the movie. I was watching the prices of these things on eBay go up, mm-hmm. the, the early ones from the seventies uh, or ones. That, and I was watching them disappear more. Like over yes. the course of a couple of years, there used to be quite a bit, and then by the end, it was like one here, one there. Instead of these collections, we got we got several of them. Uh, including the very first one but but that's the hardest those those were and luckily they were in really good condition the ones that we got other ones that were we got were given to to us to on loan from from staff which one of the things that was wonderful about that is you know the catalogs are one thing and those are in some ways much more accessible the stuff that nobody had access to, and that's more of an issue for preservation, is all of the actual assets, like the materials in which they used to make the catalog. So we were given like layout paid, like they would make these layouts using Polaroids and sketches of like fake pages to kind of decide their layout and how they would shoot the, the clothing and lay out the catalog. And then also a lot of the art directors kept all kept their film from the oh, shoots. Wow. So we had access to a lot of large uh, medium, what are called medium format chromes uh, that were all cam- original camera stuff that we scanned very high resolution. And there was much more stuff that we got. And I think, you know, a lot of snapshots, various things. And I think one thing going forward, you know, I hope is that eventually we can, make sure that these materials that all these people have will eventually go into an archive somewhere to preserve, to preserve the history of, of the catalog um, in general. But those were the really fun things to get a look at was this inside world or when we got a videotape of the commercials they made in the nineties. And it was like, wow, like this commercial never aired. Uh It's so rad, you know? Um, or we saw the gay catalog they put out. They did two issues of a gay of an actual gay catalog that ended up being kind of a disaster for them because it was too ahead of its time. 
they didn't know who was gay. That's true. So they had to just guess and sent this catalog out uh, to people. And it would, you know, it's going to addresses and people don't know who they're going to. And that really, they got a lot of like people calling, like, how dare you send this to me or what are you doing? Or, you know, if you're, yeah. So, uh, but it was great because it literally would be like pride related things. And the, you know, it was, the clothing and the the language in the in the copy, everything was very out and proud. Uh, well, yeah, that was definitely ahead of its time. That was uh, wow, wow. Do you remember the name of that catalog, Jess? It was called Him. Vaguely remember that. You Vaguely. might have been a lucky few who got it. Uh, I don't think I got it, but I remember hearing about it. Yeah, like it was, it was funny. It was the opposite extreme. It's like on the cover, there was like a pink triangle over the eye. You know, there was like rainbow flags. There was like, you know, for a for the catalog, which had always sort of skirted sexual, you know, sexual orientation. It was full throated. Let's just say. And uh, <laughs> seems appropriate. It was full throated, and it, I mean the clothes were like it was like what you're imagining, but taken to another extreme. Wow! Um, wow! But yeah, I think I think that 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 was actually another really fucking fascinating thing that happened, which was like you know here's all this talk. They're labeled a gay catalog. They try to straighten it out. They try to do all these things. And then they make a gay catalog, like specifically a gay catalog, and it goes terribly. Terribly. It goes horribly. And it's like, it's that's the sort of irony of all of this. You know? it's... It, yeah, the, the catalog itself. So we, um, we discovered this catalog when we interviewed. Oh, my brain just went dead. Jess. What, him? Is it Peter? Peter? Oh, Peter? Peter Carroll. Peter, what was Pe- Peter Carroll? Thank you, uh, Peter Carroll, who was creative director uh, during his time. He he was the one that created this magazine, uh, this catalog. And when you look at it, I, I wish we could show it to you, but uh, I don't. Know, but its design was so good, and the images were amazing. They were so powerful and so strong, and the, the clothing these guys were wearing was like wow. That is like someone ready to go to a pride party and like leather and straps. And I mean, it was just really impressive. It was so, so that 90s look and feel that, that just, I don't know. I I found it awesome. And it was very sad that it not, but it was, it was, they put a lot of work into it. It wasn't just like, you know a little catalog. They put a lot of work and a lot of resources went into making that. Nice. Yeah. Cause they always did amazing stuff, amazing catalogs. So I figured that would be just as amazing. So I have to ask that you've been showing up until recently, the film at uh, film festivals and around the country. Uh, and it just came out on video or download what has been some of the things you've been hearing from people after they see the movie? What are, what are some of the more memorable things people have said to you guys after viewing it? Um, well, I think, I think that, I think something that I'm really excited about and was exciting in making the film as we were sort of shepherding this story was it becomes a film about a lot more than what people Uh are expecting it to be. And that, that makes me really happy. You know, everything is created in a context. And I think sort of bringing your viewers along to sort of seeing how this is operating in the world and what they're up against, etc. I think that that it's very humanizing. I think it's, it's what we're attracted to, generally speaking, uh, as human beings is like these stories. Um, I think... I was I was worried at times. I can remember thinking like, "Ah, oh, will people be di- disappointed? It's not sexy enough or something." Um, <laughs> but I, I think uh, I'm really proud of it. I, I don't think I'm answering your question very well. Um, <laughs> it's well, it's there's so much to cover in this topic. 
that because when I when I saw it, I was expecting one thing. I was expecting yeah. the sexy. I was expecting, you know, all that. But when I watched it, I was like, oh, you gave me something I didn't know I wanted, basically. Because you saw more of the behind the scenes. You saw more of the people who made it. And it's like a family. So it was really cool. And I'm like, okay, I did not know I needed this movie. But I'm glad I have this movie now. Because when I well, stopped watching oh, no, it, ahead. I was yeah. like, okay, that wasn't what I expected. Let's think. Because <laughs> it got me thinking. And I'm like, oh, okay. And that's when I'm like, oh, I've got to watch it again and again and again. So, <laughs> so yeah. I mean, that was the hope. I mean, that was the the the, the whole point of, of what we were doing in that way. I mean, it was the same thing for us. You know, it starts out as one idea, one premise, which is this fun catalog that, gay men connected mm-hmm. to and had an affinity for and loved the clothing and loved to jerk off to it. And then all of a sudden, wow, there's so much more to it than just that and how it influenced and affected and was influenced by what was happening in, uh, in the culture at the time. Mm-hmm. Also, the thing is, I think when what's been great about people watching the film it is that it is that actually when you said, you know, you weren't you, you were like, oh, wow, there's all this stuff I didn't expect. The the staff were the same way. All the people who had worked for it when they when they saw it and it, it they were also surprised. As a matter of fact, I remember several of them talking to each other about the interview experience and that it wasn't what they were expecting at all. They were expecting that we would want to talk about, I don't know, underwear, international mail and like gossip stories or or just even didn't know and from the models to everybody was like oh they asked me all this stuff like it just wasn't what they were expecting Mm -hmm. and i think that's the whole point of it right like for us it was that same thing this catalog that was written off that was always trying to fight for legitimacy in the fashion space and, and as a brand and it's still the same thing even within the people who bought from it or or at least had an affinity uh, for it. I think that, and the other thing that's just been great is, you know, going to the various screenings over the last year, you know, we released pretty much a year ago Mm -hmm. at uh, Tribeca and did film festivals up until a couple of months ago. And now with the theatrical release and streaming releases, the thing that's always great is hearing everyone's story, you know, from the, the personal stories that people have as to what it meant to them and what role it played in their lives. You know, because when you're making these films, you're not making them for yourself, you know, or you're not making them for a committee of, 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 you know, awards jurists. You're, you're making this for, for people to, to connect with and to take something from and to, and to feel like something that they were thinking maybe gets expressed or explored in a way that they they weren't thinking, you know, so it becomes mm-hmm. something for them to have. Yes. And that's been, that's, I mean, that's to the best part. That's the best thing you can hope for when you make a film in general. Yes, it is. Cause it kind of makes me sad. There's not an international mail for the current generation that this is just happened then and ended. Cause the day when they closed, announced they were closing. I swear I almost cried that day. I was like, no, no. <laughs> so it's, and explaining it to certain, some of the younger listeners and readers we have is kind of like, okay, this is no internet. This is totally different. And they just don't get it. So, but it just makes me sad. They don't have something similar, but well, that's where we've been with the internet. And I think that that connects back to something I said really early on, which is why it's so special to us because it was special and it, mm-hmm. and I mean, hopefully this film to your point of feeling sad for them. I mean, I think that we as a culture always are moving hopefully forward. I know yeah. that's debatable at times, depending on what state <laughs> you live in, but you know, True. this idea that, their whole, the, our world was a analog world. It was a, like things had an end. You could read the newspaper cover to cover and that was the newspaper for that day. And we now live in a world where information is just flowing by us 
literally in the palm of our hands, second mm-hmm. after second. And I think the way that young people see the world is is a totally different way. I think that I'm psyched that I'm yeah. a Gen Xer because I get to have both. <laughs> I get to have both the analog <laughs> and digital world. And um, exactly. But I will say this: I was having a conversation recently with um, some people who came to a screening here in Los Angeles. And they were saying, you know, it's something so special about holding the catalog in my hands and looking mm-hmm. at it. And these were 20-somethings. And I was like, I was really, like, looking at it, and there was nothing interrupting me, they were saying. And I was like, yeah, it nice. was, it's something really special. And they were saying, yeah, it's why I buy magazines still, or it's why I do this still, is because, you know, the dominant force in our world is, is of course, digital. Yeah. Very, that's cool though that they got the catalog awesome yeah i was really i was really touched by them one of them took it from their father <laughs> that's where oh wow he's like my dad still had some so i took one um, wow yeah, it was hilarious. i wish i still had mine but oh well but i guess we'll wrap it up there i could talk probably a couple hours with you guys <laughs> going but uh <laughs> Thank you. A, thank you for making the movie. It was well worth the wait when I got to see it. I was very happy. Uh, I know you guys are, it's coming out on DVD soon as well. You can get it on many of the digital services to buy. Uh, so you can go watch it now. You can watch it tonight after listening to this. Yes, watch it and give give it a four star or five star rating on Apple or wherever else. It helps I've, keep the movie up there and people seeing it. I've got to do that. I haven't done that. Thank you for reminding me about that. I'm gonna go do that because I bought it on Apple. Yay! Oh yeah, yeah. All those ratings really do affect visibility for sure. So, thank you both for coming on the podcast today. It was a pleasure and so much fun. Everyone go watch the movie. I highly recommend it. Everyone in this podcast who listens, you're in the demographic to watch this. So you, I have, we have no excuses for why you cannot watch this. So go watch <laughs> it. People. You will not be disappointed, but you'll be probably be like me wanting more and more and more after you watch the movie. Cause there's so <laughs> much you wish they went into, but you know, there's only so much time you can put into a movie. So it's still amazing, even without the things I wished were in there. But I guess it's a good thing wanting more when you leave. I was always going to say I'd rather want more than be like, oh, when oh, is this it? ending? Or that was it? That's all. That's all <laughs> yeah. they did. Totally, totally. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> uh, but yeah, go watch people. You will not be disappointed. So thank you, everyone. We'll have another podcast soon. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to our show. If you like what you hear, consider supporting us at Patreon at patreon.com slash UNB blog. Follow us on social media. You can follow the blog at UNB blog on Twitter and Instagram. Read the blog at unbblog.com. Also follow me if you like art or anything else fun and underwear at UNB Tim on Instagram and also Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll have more podcasts at you very soon. Bye.